Well, if you don't know, my name is Tony. I'm one of the elders here at Hope Alliance. And uh, Adam and Rachel uh, and their family are actually probably at this very moment enjoying the Dominican Republic sun and sand and maybe, you know, you know Adam as well as I do, the air conditioning in the hotel room. Uh, But in Adam's absence, uh, he has asked me to share a word or two this morning on uh, 2 Samuel chapter 8, and that's where we're going to pick up our study uh, this morning. And structurally, uh, chapter 8 of 2 Samuel is a little bit different than the narrative that we've been looking at over the last several uh, weeks, because chapter 8 is a little bit of a, a bird's eye view of David's victories over the surrounding nations as a whole. And it summarizes uh, several battles that have taken place over a a period of time, some of which we've already studied together. Adam talked about David overcoming the Philistines two weeks ago, Uh, and some of the battles that we're going to talk about this morning are going to be battles that the writer is going to highlight in chapter 8, and he's going to go on to describe later in greater detail uh, later on in the book. Now, as it always is, context is hugely important as we look at chapter 8 in 2 Samuel, namely because we're about to look at David's overwhelming and convincing victories over the nations that surround him. And unless we uh, forget the why and the how uh, behind David's victories, I want to take a second and read uh, from the text that Adam preached on last week. And these are the words that God gave to David in chapter 7 through the prophet Nathan in verses 8 and 9 and again in 16. Listen to what he says. I took you from the pasture, from tending the flock, and I appointed you ruler over my people Israel. I have been with you wherever you have gone, and I have cut off all your enemies from before you. Now I will make your name great, like the names of the greatest men on earth. And then in verse 16, it says, Your house and your kingdom will endure forever before me. Your throne will be established forever. So in these verses, we clearly see that it is God's appointment of his anointed king David, his presence with David, and his promises to David that are ultimately the source of David's victories. So with that in mind, let's open up 2 Samuel chapter 8 uh, together, and we'll read through the whole chapter. If you don't have a Bible and you want one, we do have Bibles on the back table. They are yours uh, to take home with you if you would like one. Let's read the word together. In the course of time, David defeated the Philistines and subdued them. And he took Metheg Amah from the control of the Philistines. David also defeated the Moabites. He made them lie down on the ground and measured them off with a length of cord. Every two lengths of them were put to death and the third length was allowed to live. So the Moabites became subject to David and brought him tribute. Moreover, David defeated Hadadezer, son of Rehob, the king of Jobah, when he went to restore his 
monument or his control at the Euphrates River. David captured a thousand of his chariots, 7,000 charioteers, and 20,000 foot soldiers. He hamstrung all but a hundred of the chariot horses. When the Arameans of Damascus came to help Hadadezer, the king of Zobah, David struck down 22,000 of them. He put garrisons in the Aramean kingdom of Damascus, and the Arameans became subject to him and brought him tribute. The Lord gave David victory wherever he went. David took the gold shields that belonged to the officers of Hadadezer and brought them to Jerusalem from Teba and from Barathai, towns that belonged to Hadadezer. King David took a great quantity of bronze. When two, or toy as your translation might say, uh, the king of Hamath heard that David had defeated the entire army of Hadadezer, he sent his son Joram to King David to greet him and to congratulate him on his victory in battle over Hadadezer, who had, had been at war with two. And Joram brought with him articles of silver, of gold, and of bronze. And King David dedicated these articles to the Lord as he had done with the silver and gold from all the nations that he had subdued, Edom and Moab, the Ammonites and the Philistines and Amalek. And he dedicated the plunder taken from Hadadezer, son of Rehob, the king of Zobah. And David became famous after he returned from striking down 18,000 Edomites in the Valley of Salt. He put garrisons throughout Edom, and all the Edomites became subject to David. And the Lord gave David victory wherever he went. And David reigned over all Israel, doing what was just and right for all his people. Now, there's a lot in this passage. Honestly, there's a whole lot more than we have time to really tackle uh, this morning. But before we dive in and pick apart the passage to see what we can receive from it today, I want to look at the, what, I, what I see as the aim of this chapter as a whole. Now, there's a verse that I think that we're supposed to, to see and understand and to remember more than any other in this passage, and it's mentioned twice in the text. In verse 6 and again in verse 14, we read that the Lord gave David victory wherever he went. Now, if you were to look at a map and look at chapter 8 in a geographic reality, uh, you would uh, be uh, amazed to see that as we line up these victories in chapter 8 against the promises that God made to Abraham in Genesis chapter 15. It's just amazing to see the way that in this chapter, God is fulfilling his promises to Abraham in a very real way. Listen to Genesis chapter 15, verse 18. It says, So the Lord made a covenant with Abram that day, and he said, I have given this land to your descendants all the way from the border of Egypt to the great Euphrates River. Now, whether you look to the north or to the south or the east or the west, we see that the Lord gives David the victory wherever he goes, and he fulfills, in a manner of speaking, his promise to establish his kingdom on earth within the boundaries that he had promised to Abraham. 
Now, as we look at a chapter like chapter 8 in this theme of victory, I think we need to pause for a minute and talk about this concept of victory. Now, we all love victory, right? With our favorite sports teams, uh, we love winning. Um, And that is probably no more evident than when our favorite sports teams lose. So we love winning. In our jobs, we love advancement. We love promotions. In conflict, if you're anything like me, you like to be proved right. You want to be able to say, I told you so. I was right. Uh, And in the hard situations in life, we love to come out on top. But as we read about victory in chapter 8, we need to understand something. We need to realize that this is pointing at the reality that God is establishing his kingdom through David. That the promises that God made to David in chapter 7 and the promises that God made to Abraham all the way back in Genesis are very much coming to pass here in chapter 8 in a real physical, and tangible way. And as God gives triumph after triumph to his anointed King David, what I think he really wants us to see and understand is that he is establishing a kingdom that is much bigger than one man, David. He is going to establish an eternal throne through David's descendant, Jesus And Jesus would secure a victory that is much more significant than a battle over the Philistines or over the Moabites or over the Arameans or the Edomites. He is going to secure victory over sin and death itself. And I think that is ultimately what we're seeing in this passage this morning. That inasmuch as we are in Christ, we have that ultimate future reality of victory, and that the eternal, enduring kingdom prevails. But does that future reality of victory get at the heart of God? Does it really get at the core of God's heart for his people in and of itself? After all, didn't God declare to David in chapter 7 his desire to provide a place for my people Israel? Didn't he also say that he wanted to plant them so that they could have a home of their own? These are words of deep love and care and nurturing for God's people. Love that only a good father could say of his people. And I think they're words that reflect God's heart for us to experience the reality of victory in our lives today in our lives right now. Now, does that mean that in every relationship conflict, we're going to have victory? Does it mean that we're going to overcome every struggle or medical diagnosis? Does it mean that in the conflicts that you experience in your job every day, or the battles that you have at home, in parenting, or with family, that you're going to have victory? Does it mean that? Well, the answer is yes. And it's also no. And how we define victory will help us to arrive at our answer to that question. Now, if victory is success over every trial, if it is prosperity, as some pastors would have you believe that it is, 
Uh, If it is accomplishment in this life, if it is winning or always beating the odds, if it is a cure from every physical ailment that you experience, if it is success over every sin struggle in your day-to-day life, well then, of course not, right? We know from our own lives that this is not the way victory looks because we all continue to struggle with these things in life. But what if we were to see victory in the midst of the trials that we are facing as the security and certainty of God's presence with us? What if we were to see victory in our trials as God's overwhelming love on our behalf that he proved to us through the death of his son for us? What if we define victory as his presence with us in the battles that we face now and the reality that he is drawing us near to him in the midst of them? This is the hope that we have. Yes, that the war is already won, that the battle has already been won, that victory over sin and death has been secured for God's people. But also, as we struggle through the daily battles in our life, we have a God who walks closely with us. One who has experienced everything that we have experienced, whether it is sickness or pain or disappointment or suffering or defeat or death. And on the third day, he rose again, securing the victory once and for all. This is the victory that we have in Jesus, and it is eternal, and it is a promise. It is a future reality, but it is also an ever-present reality in our life now. So with that, let's dive in a little bit deeper into chapter 8, and we're going to see ways that we can experience this in our lives today. I love how chapter 8, verse 1 starts out. It says, In the course of time, David defeated the Philistines and subdued them, and he took Metheg Amah from the control of the Philistines. Now, if we look at a parallel passage uh, in 1 Chronicles chapter 18, it almost reads word for word uh, to 2 Samuel 8. Uh, we will learn that Metheg Amah likely refers to the city of Gath, in the Philistine territory. Now, Gath was one of five chief cities uh, of the Philistines, and it was a walled town. It was a fortified city. It was a stronghold. And it was made famous by the giants who lived there. And you might remember one such giant from Gath, a man named Goliath, who David had previously defeated. And David's victory over this stronghold of Gath makes me Think about the victories that I have experienced over strongholds in my life. And to be fair, the victories that I am still trying to experience over present strongholds in my life. And these strongholds, right, these are the struggles that we seem to keep coming back to. These are the things that seem to trip us up over and over again. And I find it interesting and I find it comforting that verse 1 begins with the words, in the course of time. 
Because as I look at my life, I don't know about you, but I don't always see victory over the trials in my life happening overnight. Do you? I don't. And neither did David. It took David time to overcome the Philistines. It took him time to overcome this stronghold in Gath. And it took David time to experience peace over his enemies. But as we look at the whole of David's life, and as we look at the battles that David experienced in chapter 8, we can say with absolute certainty that the Lord gave David victory wherever he went. So I want to encourage you. I want to encourage you to take a look at your life Uh, And I want you to find comfort in this truth. You might be walking through a trial right now. You might be experiencing struggle in any number of ways. I know I am. But as I look at my life as a whole, from the time I became a follower of Jesus until now, I know this to be true. I am not the same person today that I was in 1996 when I asked Jesus to come into my life. And I bet you're not the same person either. I've experienced change and victory over the course of time. Now there are some things about me that changed quickly. And there are other things in me that took a long time for God to work in my life to Help me overcome things that caused struggle and pain, not just to myself, but to those around me. But God's work is undeniable. When we look at the whole of our life, we see his victory in it, don't we? Now, to be fair, your translation of chapter 8, verse 1, might read a little bit differently. It might read, now after this, David defeated the Philistines. And with these words, we see that victory is ultimately in light of God's promises in chapter 7. And both are true. God is both our source of victory on the basis of his promises. And we can fight the discouragement over the trials we're facing right now with the knowledge that God's victory takes time in our life, but that it is certain. So do not lose heart. As we move along in the passage, we see that David has these convincing victories, one after another. He he defeats the Moabites. He defeats a king by the name of Hadadezer. And then in verse 5, the Arameans, they come uh, to Hadadezer's aid, and David defeats them as well. And David places these garrisons in the Aramean kingdom of Damascus to secure his rule and his control over this region. And we see here that there is this defensive aspect of victory in David's battles, don't we? Now, a garrison refers to the troops that you would have stationed in a a fortress or a town to defend it. And this really causes me to think that uh, and to see that that while victory ultimately does come from the Lord, he uses these other means in our lives to accomplish it. 
He uses people in our lives. He uses spiritual disciplines in our lives. He uses a a rhythm of life or a rule of life, as Adam uh, talks about from time to time. He uses these things to help us in the battles that we face. So what are your garrisons? What have you intentionally placed in your life to support the victory that God has already given you? Here are some of mine. My wife, Heather, is a garrison in my life. She knows me. She knows my struggles. And she has made a commitment to love me and to walk through life together with me in partnership. God has gifted me with Heather as a garrison in my life. And in addition to that commitment that she has made to walk through life with me, he has gifted her with a level of of intuition and spiritual discernment that far exceeds mine. And he has guided uh, our family through her on so many occasions uh, and uh, through so many big decisions in life. And she and I both know that God speaks to Heather first, and then she patiently waits for me to kind of come around. So Heather is a garrison in my life. Here's another one. I've got men in my life who I am intentionally connected with in a relationship of complete openness and honesty about the struggles that I face in my life. A couple of these men are Pastor Adam and Pastor Jim and Jonathan. And these guys walk with me through my life and through my struggles. They pray for me. They point me to the gospel in the midst of need and spiritual battles that I face. And I make a habit of regularly checking in with these men in my life. And there are other men here, as I look around the room, who the Lord continues to bring me back to as a source of encouragement and care. So these men are garrisons in my life. Here's another one. My community group. Every other week, uh, we meet in our in our home, and we experience genuine connections with our community group. Uh, we talk through God's word. We talk about ways that we can apply God's word to our life. We pray for one another. We share the, the battles and the struggles that we're walking through, and we provide care for one another. My community group has been encouraging me uh, over the last several weeks through a trial that I have been walking through in this season of life. They've been there for me to pray for me and to hear me as I express my struggles. But one struggle that we experienced as a family recently, it was last October, and many of you may know that that Heather experienced a collapsed lung, and that was a crisis for our family. Now, we are not doctors, we are not physicians, nurses, We didn't understand the realities of what that meant, uh, medically speaking. So it was a crisis for us, and, and and it came with a whole host of fears and challenges for our family. And our community group, as well as this church as a whole and our and our family were there for us, and they responded so beautifully for us as a garrison in our life in the midst of this time, listening to our fears, speaking encouragement into our life, praying for us, being there for us, bringing us meals, watching our kids. Adam and Rachel watched our dog for like a whole week. And if you know anything about our dog and the stories that that we have shared, that is a big deal. We have been loved well by the garrisons in our life, our community group, 
in our church. But listen, this was a garrison, a defense that was already in place in our family so that when the trial came, we had the help that we needed. And the garrison of community is available here for all who need it at hope. God's word. God's word is a garrison in my life. Apart from the promises of God and the word of God, I know that I would lose heart in the midst of the battles that I face. The Bible is clear about God's word and the power of God's word in our life and the encouragement that it brings is probably most evident to us when we're not in God's word. So these are just a few of mine. I encourage you to identify yours and to see if there is an area in your life that is open to the attack of the enemy. I encourage you to see if there is an area of your life that is lacking support and to be intentional in seeking help from those around you. And if that's something that you want to talk about more, I know Adam would love to talk to you about that. I would love to talk to you about that. Jonathan would love to talk to you about that. Your community group leaders would love to talk to you about that. So over time, over the strongholds, with the help of garrisons in his life, God gives David the victory wherever he went. So what does David do with the victory that God had given him? Well, he gives glory to God in the midst of it, and he uses his victories for the continued advancement of God's kingdom. And he uses his platform as God's anointed king to bring blessing to his people. David took the spoils of war and he dedicated them to the Lord. This included the shields that he took from the officers of Hadadezer's army. It included the plunder that he had received from all the nations that he had subdued, as well as the gifts of gold and silver and bronze that he had been given from two, his neighbor to the north. And all of it, every win, every outcome, every spoil, every prize, every gift, he gave it back to God for his use. Now, I think it's important to pause for a minute um, because inasmuch as we find great personal application for our life through David's attitudes and actions, we need to remember that we are not David in this story. We need to remember that Jesus is David in this story, and he is the one who has secured the victory. He is the one who has done all of these things perfectly. Yet we do receive in David's life great model for how we can do the same. So how will you and I do what David did How can we take the victories that God has given us and use them to give glory to God and to bless other people? How can we take the resources that God has given us and use them? How can we take the experiences that God has given us and use them to give glory to God and to bless others? Here's one way. A friend of mine told me once that God never wastes a hurt. 
Since we're talking about trials, since we're talking about struggles, since we're talking about battles, this seemed really relevant to me. And I think these words ring true here. God will use the victories that he has given us to help others who are going the same struggles that we are going through, that we have gone through. There are areas of weakness and struggle and sin in my life where I have seen God's gracious hand and God's victory. And to be completely honest, it's not as if these areas of struggle have simply vanished. I still need the Lord in the midst of them. I still need the help of others in the midst of them. But God can use my story. And he can use my struggles. And he can use my victories. And he can use my resources. And he can use my experiences as an encouragement to others to help them stay in the fight. And he could do the same with yours. And I am challenged by this passage to do this all the more. And let's not miss in the passage what happens with this story of two, this neighbor to the north, or toy as your translation might say. He is not struck down. He is not defeated as an enemy of David, but rather he sees and is blessed by the presence of God in David's life. And it causes him to come before God's anointed king with gifts and congratulations. God gives us a model here in this passage. And he shows us that he provides an opportunity for people to come before him as their anointed king. Not to be defeated as an enemy, but to be welcomed as a friend. And this can happen in our neighborhoods as well. As we live out the gospel in our everyday life, the opportunity exists for those around us to see and experience the love of Jesus in and through us to experience the gospel simply by us following Jesus' command to love our neighbor as ourself. So God gives David the victory. And then David gives God the glory. And this brings us to the last verse in our passage this morning. And we're going to see that God is going to provide a good king for his people we look at verse 15, we see a little bit of a resume of David's life in his rule as a king. It says this, David reigned over all Israel doing what was just and right for all his people. Now, if you know anything about David's life, and you know anything about David's story, you might call this account into question. In fact, all we need to do is turn our pages Turn our Bible one page over, in fact. Uh, And we see the account of David in Bathsheba, and we know that all in Israel were not done right by David. But this verse does not speak to David as a perfect king. It speaks to a general tone, a general arc of David's life that he ruled as a godly, anointed king, 
should, doing what was just and right for his people. But more importantly, what it does is it points us to a king who would perfectly rule his people, doing what is just and right in all things. You see, we might be disappointed when we look at David's life. We might be disappointed by David's failures. I'm sure that you've probably been disappointed by leaders in your life, whether they're church leaders or whether they're leaders in government. You've probably been disappointed by the failures in your own life. But here's the deal. We have an anointed king over us that is perfect in in every way, who does not disappoint, one who will always and does always do what is just and right for you and for me. You see, King Jesus rules over his people And inasmuch as we are in Christ, we have victory wherever we go. Because it is not a circumstantial victory over the trials in our life that we enjoy, though sometimes it may be. But rather it is the presence and the promises of God in the midst of the trials that we face, as well as the ultimate victory over sin and death for all who call him Lord. There's no better encouragement that I can offer you than the encouragement that is found in God's Word. Listen to these three verses, and I hope that they will give encouragement in the midst of the battles that might be raging in your life. Psalm 46, verse 1 reminds us listen to this God is our refuge and strength an ever-present help in trouble. John 16, the words of Jesus, he said to us, he said, I have told you these things so that in me you may have peace. In this world you will have trouble, but take heart, I have overcome the world. In Paul's words to the Corinthians, in 1 Corinthians 15, he says, O death, where is your victory Death, where is your sting? For sin is the sting that results in death, and the law gives sin its power. But thank God, he gives us victory over sin and death through our Lord Jesus Christ. Well, check this out, church. If we were to read chapter 8 in isolation, we might believe that this was easy for David. After all, didn't we read twice in the text that the Lord gave David victory wherever he went? And over all these battles that David faced, I mean, we read the victories, and they were were comprehensive, certain victories for David. And we, we read it in like a minute, right? We read it in two minutes. But fortunately, the Scriptures do not remain silent regarding the battles that David was facing in his own mind in the midst of these wars that were raging on before him. David wrote a psalm in the midst of one of these battles. It was Psalm 60. And listen to some of the things that David writes in Psalm 60 and see if this has not been true of you and me. 
This is what he says. He says, you have rejected us, God, and you've burst upon us. You have been angry. Oh, please restore us. You have shaken the land. You have torn it open. Mend its fractures, for it is quaking. You have shown your people desperate times. This is the heart of David in the midst of the battles and the wars that he was going through in 2 Samuel chapter 8. Can you relate to that? But inasmuch as David came before a sovereign God in the midst of his struggle, he knew that God's love and rescue was at hand. Listen to these words as David continues in Psalm 60. He says, save us and help us with your right hand. Give us aid against our enemy, for human help is worthless. With God, we will gain the victory. So why am I pointing out Psalm 60? It's because I want you to know that victory takes time, and it's because I want you to know that I understand the battles we face are real, and they are hard. I want to encourage you that you don't have to be fake and pretend that everything is okay when it is not. We can cry out to God and we can cry out to each other and we can acknowledge that the battles that we face are hard. But will you turn your eyes to the Lord who gave David victory wherever he went and pray this prayer as David prayed in the closing verses of Psalm 60. He says, and I pray it over us now, save us and help us with your right hand so that those you love may be delivered. So go, my friends, in this, in this new week, knowing that God has given you a good king, and not just a good king, but a, a king who has already won the victory for you. And he understands the battles that you face because he has walked through them in his own life and he walks with you in them now and he's giving you victory in them. So in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, I pray, amen.